0: part 1 chapter 4 of the dead letter by meta victoria fuller victor this librivox recording is in the public domain morland villa several minor circumstances prevented my going in search of the woman who had excited my suspicions on the previous day until about 9 o'clock in the morning when i engaged an officer and we two went quietly without communicating our plans to anyone else to the tenement house before spoken of Although Blankville was not a large village, there was in it, as in nearly every town blessed with a railroad depot, a shabby quarter where the rougher portion of its working people lived. The house stood in this quarter. It was a three-story frame building, occupied by half a dozen families, mostly those of Irish laborers, who found work in the vicinity of the depot. I had seen the strange girl ascend to the second floor in the dim light of the previous night, so we went up and knocked at the first door we came upon it was opened by a decent-appearing middle-aged woman who held the knob in her hand while she waited for us to make known our errand we both stepped into her apartment before we spoke a rapid glance revealed an innocent-looking room with the ordinary furniture of such a place a cooking-stove bed table etc but no other inmate there was a cupboard the door of which stood open showing its humble array of dishes and eatables there were no pantries nor other places of concealment I was certain that I had seen the girl enter this room at the head of the stairs, so I ventured Is your daughter at home, ma'am? Is it my niece, you mean? I detected an Irish accent, though the woman spoke with but a little brogue, and was evidently an old resident of our country, in a manner Americanized. Oh, she is your niece? I suppose so, a tall girl with dark eyes and hair. That's Lisi herself. Was you wantin' any work done? Yes, answered the officer quickly, taking the matter out of my hands. I wanted to get a set of shirts made up, six, with fine-stitched bosoms. He had noticed a cheap sewing-machine standing near the window, and a bundle of coarse muslin in a basket nearby. It's sorry I am to disappoint you, but Lisey's not with me now, and I hardly venture on the fine work. I make the shirts for the hands about the railroad that hasn't wives of their own to do it, but for the fine bosoms, doubtfully, though to be sure the machine does the stitches are beautiful, if it wasn't for the buttonholes. Where is Lisey? Doesn't she stop with you?' it's her i have here always when she's out of a place she's an orphan poor girl and it's not in the blood of a sullivan to turn off their own i've brought her up from a little thing of five years old given her the education too she can read and write like the laddies of the land you didn't say where she was mrs sullivan she's making the fine things in a fancy store in new york caps and collars and sleeves and the beautiful tucked waists she's such taste and the work is not so hard as plain sewing four dollars a week she gets and boarded for two and a half in a nice genteel place. She expects to be elevated to the forewoman's place at seven dollars the week before many months. She was here to stay over the Sunday with me. She often does that, and she's gone back by the six o'clock train this mornin'. and she'll be surely late at that by an hour. I tried to coax her to stay the day. She seems so poorly. She's not been herself this long time. She seems going in a decline like. It's the stooping over the needle, I think. She's so nervous like. The news of the murder yesterday almost killed her. "'Twas an awful deed that, wasn't it, gentleman? "'I couldn't sleep a wink last night for thinking of that poor young man "'and the sweet lady he was to have married. "'Such a fine, generous, polite young gentleman. "'Did you know him? "'Know him, as well as my own son, if I had one. "'Not that I ever spoke to him, "'but he's passed here often on his way to his father's house "'and to Mr. Argyle's, "'and least he's sowed in their family these two summers "'when they've been here, and was always twice paid.' When she'd go away, he'd say laughingly, in his beautiful way, "'And how much have you earned a day, Miss Sullivan, "'sittin' there all these long, hot hours?' "'And she'd answer, fifty cents a day, and thanks to your mother for the good pay. "'And he'd put his hand in his pocket, "'and pull out a ten-dollar gold piece, and say, "'Women aren't half-paid for their work. "'It's a shame. "'If you hain't earned a dollar a day, Miss Sullivan, "'you hain't earned a cent. "'So don't be afraid to take it. "'It's your due. "'And that's what made Lisey think so much of him.' He was so thoughtful of the poor, God bless him. How could anybody have the heart to do it? I looked at the officer and found his eyes reading my face. One thought had evidently flashed over both of us, but it was a suspicion which wronged the immaculate memory of Henry Moreland, and I, for my part, banished it as soon as it entered my mind. It was like him to pay generously the labors of a sickly sewing-girl. It was not like him to take any advantage of her ignorance or gratitude which might result in her taking such desperate revenge for her wrongs. The thought was an insult to him, and to the noble woman who was to have been his wife. I blushed at the intrusive, unwelcome fancy, but the officer, not knowing the deceased as I knew him, and perhaps having no such exalted idea of manhood as mine, seemed to feel as if there might be a thread to follow. Lisey thought much of him, you think, Mrs. Sullivan? Taking a chair unbidden, and putting on a friendly gossiping air, everybody speaks well of him so she sewed in the family six weeks every summer they was always satisfied with her sewing she's the quickest and neatest hand with the needle she'd make them shirts of yours beautiful if she was to home sir when did she go to new york to live last winter early it's nearly a year now there was something come across her she appeared homesick like and strange when she said she meant to go to the city and get work i was minded to let her go for i thought the change maybe would do her good "'but she's quite ailing and coughs dreadful o' nights. "'I'm afraid she catched cold in that rainstorm "'night before last. "'She came up all the way from the depot in it. "'She was wet to the skin when she got here "'and as white as a sheet. "'She was so weak-like "'that when the neighbours came in with the news yesterday "'she gave a scream and dropped right down. "'I didn't wonder if she was took aback. "'I ain't got done trembling yet myself.' "'I remembered the gentleman who had first spoke to me "'about the girl said that she had come in "'on the morning train Saturday.' I could not reconcile this with her coming up from the depot at dark, yet I wished to put my question in such a way as to not arouse suspicion of my motive. If she came in on the six o'clock train, she must have been on the same train with Mr. Moreland. "'I believe she was in the seven o'clock cars. Yes, she was. "'Twas half-past seven when she got in. The rain was pouring down awful. She didn't see him, for I asked her yesterday.' "'In whose shop in New York is she employed?' inquired the officer." she's at number three broadway naming a store somewhere between wall street and canal are you wanting her for anything she asked suddenly looking up sharply as if it just occurred to her that our inquiries were rather pointed oh no replied my companion rising i was a bit tired and thought i'd rest my feet before starting out again i'll thank you for a glass of water mrs sullivan so you won't undertake the shirts if i thought i could do the buttonholes "'Perhaps her niece could do them on her next visit "'if you wanted the job,' I suggested. "'Why, so she could, "'and would be glad to do something for her old aunt. "'It's bright you are to put me in mind of it. "'Shall I come for the work, sir?' "'I'll send it round when I get it ready. "'I suppose your niece intends to visit you next Saturday?' "'Well, rarely I can't say. "'It's too expensive for coming every week. "'But she'll sure be here afore the whole six is complete. "'Good morning, gentlemen. "'And there's nothing heard of the murderer, I warrant?' We responded that nothing had been learned, and descending to the street it was arranged, as we walked along, that the officer should go to New York and put some detective there on the track of Lisey Sullivan. I informed my companion of the discrepancy between her actual arrival in town and her appearance at her aunt's. Either the woman had purposely deceived us, or her niece had not gone home for a good many hours after landing at Blankville. I walked with him to the depot, where we made a few inquiries which convinced us that she had arrived on saturday morning and sat an hour or two in the ladies room and then gone away uptown there was sufficient to justify our looking further i took from my own pocket means to defray the expenses of the officer as well as to interest the new york detective adding that liberal rewards were about to be offered and waited until i saw him depart on his errand then turning to go to the office my heart so sickened at the idea of business and the ordinary routine of living in the midst of such misery that my footsteps shrunk away from their familiar paths i could do nothing just then for the aid or comfort of the afflicted the body was to be taken that afternoon to the city for interment the next day in the family enclosure at greenwood until the hour for its removal there was nothing more that friendship could perform in the service of the mourners my usual prescription for mental ailments was a long and vigorous walk Today i felt as if i could breathe only in the wide sunshine so cramped and chilled were my spirits the summer residence of the moorlands lay about a mile beyond the argyll mansion out of the village proper on a hillside which sloped down to the river it was surrounded by fine grounds and commanded one of the loveliest views of the hudson a spirit in my feet led me who knows how in the direction of this now vacant and solitary place solitary i believed with the exception of the gardener and his wife who lived in a cottage back of the gardens and who remained the year round he to attend to outdoor matters and she to give housekeeper's care to the closed mansion the place had never looked more beautiful to me not even in the bloom of its june foliage and flowers than it did as i approached it on this occasion the frost had turned to every gorgeous colour the tops of the trees which stood out here and there back of the house and extending down toward the southern gate by which i entered a grove of maples and elms glowed in the autumn sunshine the lawn in front sloped down to the water's edge which flowed by in a blue and lordly stream bearing on its broad bosom picturesque white ships in the garden through which i was now walking many brilliant flowers still lingered asters gold pink and purple chrysanthemums some dahlias which had been covered from the frost pansies lurking under their broad leaves it had been the intention of the young couple to make this their permanent home after their marriage going to the city only for a couple of the winter months the very next week i had heard Eleanor expected to go down to help henry in his selection of new furniture here the mansion lay bathed in the rich sunshine the garden sparkled with flowers as the river with ripples so full as it were of conscious joyous life while the master of all lay in a darkened room awaiting his narrow coffin never had the uncertainty of human purposes so impressed me as when i looked abroad over that stately residence and thought of the prosperous future which had come to so awful a standstill. I gathered a handful of pansies, they were Eleanor's favourites. As I approached the house by the garden, I came nearly upon the portico, which extended across its western front, before I perceived that it was occupied. Sitting on its outer edge, with one arm half-wound around one of its pillars, and her bonnet in the grass at her feet, I beheld the sewing-girl, after whom I had dispatched an officer to New York. She did not perceive me, and I had an opportunity of studying the face of the woman who had fallen under my suspicion, when she was unaware that my eye was upon it, and when her soul looked out of it, unveiled in the security of solitude. The impression which she made upon me was that of despair. It was written on attitude and expression. It was neither grief nor remorse. It was blank despair. It must have been half an hour that I remained quiet, watching her, and all that time she never stirred hand nor eyelid. Her glance was upon the green greensward at her feet. When I turn to that page of my memory, I see her, photographed, as it were, upon it, every fold of the dark dress, which was some worsted substance, frayed but neat. The black shawl, bordered, drawn close about the slender shoulders, which had the slight habitual stoop of those who ply the needle for a living. The jetty hair pushed back from her forehead, the marble whiteness and rigidity of the face and mouth. It was a face made to express passion, and although the only passion expressed now was that of despair, so intense that it grew like apathy, I could easily see how the rounded chin and full lips could melt into softer moods. The forehead was rather low, but fair, consorting with the oval of the cheek and chin, the brows dark and rather heavy i remembered the wild black eyes which i had seen the previous day and could guess at their hidden fires this was a girl to attract interest at any time and i mutely wondered what had entangled the threads of her fate in the glittering web of a higher fortune which was now suddenly interwoven with the pall of death all her movements had been such as to confirm my desire to ascertain her connection if any with the tragedy it seemed to me that if i could see her eyes before she was conscious of observance, I could tell whether there was guilt or only sorrow in her heart. Therefore I remained quiet, waiting. But I had mistaken my powers, or the eyes overbore them. When she did lift them, as a steamer came puffing around the base of the mountain which ran down into the river at the east, and they suddenly encountered mine, where I stood not ten feet from her, I saw only black, unfathomable depths, pouring out a trouble so intense that my own gaze dropped beneath their power she did not start upon observing me which as i thought a guilty person buried in self-accusing reveries would have done it seemed only slowly to penetrate her consciousness that a stranger was confronting her when i raised my eyes which had sunk beneath the intensity of hers she was moving rapidly away toward the western gate miss sullivan you have forgotten your bonnet with a woman's instinct she put up her hand to smooth her disordered hair came slowly back and took the bonnet which i extended toward her without speaking i hesitated what move to make next i wished to address her she was here in my grasp and i ought to satisfy myself as far as possible about the suspicions which i had conceived i might do her an irreparable injury by making my feelings public if she were innocent of any aid or instigation of the crime which had been committed yet there were circumstances which could hardly pass unchallenged that unaccountable absence of hers on saturday from three o'clock until an hour after the murder was committed the statement of her aunt that she was in the city and my finding her in this spot in connection with the midnight visit to the window and the other things which i had observed were sufficient to justify inquiry yet if i alarmed her prematurely i should have the less chance of coming upon proofs and her accomplices if she had any would be led to take steps for greater safety anyhow i would make her speak and find what there was in her voice. "'Your aunt told me that you had gone to New York,' I said, stepping along beside her, as she turned away. "'She thought so. Did you come here to see me, sir?' Stopping short in her walk, and looking at me as if she expected me to tell my business. This again did not look like the trepidation of guilt. "'No, I came out for a walk. I suppose our thoughts have led us both in the same direction. This place will have an interest to many hereafter.' interest the interest of vulgar curiosity it will give them something to talk about i hate it she spoke more to herself than to me while a ray of fire darted from those black orbs the next instant her face subsided into that passionate stillness again her speech was not that of her station i recalled what her aunt had said about the education she had bestowed on her and decided that the girl's mind was one of those which reach out beyond their circumstances aspiring ambitious and that this aspiring nature may have led her into her present unhappiness. That she was unhappy, if not sinful, it took but a glance to assure me. So do I hate it. I do not like to have the grief of my friend subjected to cold and curious eyes. Yet it is a privilege to have the right to mourn. I tell you the sorrow of that beautiful lady he was to have married is light compared with the trouble some feel. There are those who envy her it was not her words as much as her wild half-choked voice which gave effect to them she spoke and grew silent as if conscious that the truth had been wrung from her in the ear of a stranger we had reached the gate and she seemed anxious to escape through it but i held it in my hand looking hard at her as i said it may have been the hand of envy that dashed the cup of fruition from her lips her young life is withered never to bloom again i can imagine but one wretchedness in this world greater than hers and that is the wretchedness of the guilty person who has murder written on his or her soul a spasm contracted her face she pushed at the gate which i still held ah don't she said let me pass i opened it and she darted through fleeing along the road which led out around the backward slope of the hill like eo pursued by the stinging fly her path was away from the village so that i hardly expected to see her again that day within two minutes the gardener's wife came up the road to the gate she had been down to visit the corpse of her young master. Her eyes were red with weeping. "'How do you do, Mr. Redfield? These be miserable times, ain't they? My very heart is sore in my breast. But I couldn't cry a tear in the room where he was, a lion there like life. For Miss Eleanor sat by him like a statue. It made me cold all over to see her. I couldn't speak to save me. The father and mother are just broke down, too. How is Miss Eleanor this morning?' "'The Lord knows.' She doesn't do anything but sit there, as quiet as can be. It's a bad symptom to my thinking. Still waters run deep. They're a dreadin the hour when they'll have to remove the body from the house. They're afraid her mind'll go. No, no, I answered, inwardly shuddering. Eleanor's reason is too fine and powerful to be unstrung, even by a blow like this. Who is that went out the gate as I came round the bend? Was it that girl again? Do you mean Lisey Sullivan? Yes, sir. Do you know her? She acts mighty queer to my thinking. She was out here Saturday, sitting in the summer-house all alone, till the rain began to fall. I guess she got a good soaking going home. I didn't think much about her. It was Saturday, and I thought likely she was taking a holiday, and there's many people like to come here. It's so pleasant. But what's brought her here again today is more than I can guess. Do you know, sir? I do not. I found her sitting on the portico looking at the river. Maybe she comes out for a walk and stops here to rest. She probably feels somewhat at home. She has sowed so much in the family.' "'I don't know her at all myself. "'I never spoke to her until just now. "'Did you get much acquainted with her "'when she was in the house? "'I never spoke to her above a dozen times. "'I wasn't at the house much, "'and she was always at work. "'She seemed fast with her needle, "'and a girl who minded her own business. "'I thought she was rather proud for a seamstress. "'She was handsome, and I reckon she knew it. "'She's getting thinner. "'She had red spots on her cheeks Saturday "'that I didn't like, looked consumptive. "'Did the family treat her with particular kindness?' It was as near as I cared to put into words what I was thinking of. "'You know, it's in the whole Moreland race to be generous and kind to those under them. I've known Henry more than once, when the family was going out for a drive, to insist upon Miss Sullivan's taking a seat in the carriage, but never when he was going alone. I heard him tell his mother that the poor girl looked tired, as if she needed a breath of air and a bit of freedom, and the kind-hearted lady would laugh at her son, but do as she said. It was just like him. But I'd stake my everlasting future.' that he never took any advantage of her feelings if it's that you're thinking of mr redfield so would i mrs scott there is no one can have a higher respect for the character of that noble young gentleman than i i would resent an insult to his memory more quickly than if he had been my brother but as you say there is something queer in the actions of miss sullivan i know that i can trust your discretion mrs scott for i have heard it well spoken of do not say anything to others not even to your husband but keep a watch on that person if she should come here any more "'Report to me what she does, and what spot she frequents.' "'I will do so, sir, but I don't think any harm of her. "'She may have been unfortunate enough to think too much of the kindness with which he treated her. "'If so, I pity her. She could hardly help it, poor thing. "'Henry Moreland was a young gentleman a good many people loved.' She put her handkerchief to her eyes in a fresh burst of tears. Wishing her good morning, I turned toward the village, hardly caring what I should do next, Mrs. Scott was an American woman, and one to be trusted. I felt that she would be the best detective I could place at that spot. When I reached the office on my homeward route, I went in. Mr. Argyle was there alone, his head leaning on his hand, his face anxious and worn. His brow contracted in deep thought. As soon as I came in, he sprung up, closed the outer door, and said to me in a low voice, Richard, another strange thing has occurred. I stared at him, afraid to ask what i have been robbed of two thousand dollars when and how that is what i do not know four days ago i drew that amount in bills from the park bank i placed it in a roll just as i received it in my library desk at home i locked the desk and have carried the key in my pocket the desk has been locked as usual every time that i have gone to it how long the money has been gone i cannot say i never looked after it since placing it there until about an hour ago I wanted some cash for expenses this afternoon, and going for it, the roll was gone. Haven't you mislaid it? No, I have one drawer for my cash, and I placed it there. I remember it plainly enough. It has been stolen, and he sat down in his chair with a heavy sigh. That money was for my poor Eleanor. She was to complete her wedding outfit this week, and the two thousand dollars was for refurnishing the place out at the grove. I don't care for the loss so much. She doesn't need it now, but it's singular. At this time... He looked up at me, vague suspicions which he could not shape floating in his brain. Who knew of your having the money? No one that I'm aware of, except my nephew. He drew it for me when he went down to the city last Wednesday. Could you identify the money? Not all of it. I only remember that there was one five hundred dollar bill in the package, a fresh issue of the Park Bank, of which, possibly, they may have the number. The rest was city money of various denominations and banks. I can think of but one thing which seems probable. James must have been followed from the city by some professional thief, who saw him obtain the money, and kept an eye upon it, waiting for a suitable opportunity until it was deposited in the desk. The key is a common one, which could be easily duplicated, and we are so careless in this quiet community that a thief might enter at almost any hour of the night. Perhaps the same villain dogged poor Henry in hopes of another harvest. You forget that there was no attempt to rob Henry. True, true yet the murderer may have been frightened away before he had secured his prize in which case he would have returned as the body remained undiscovered all night it may be so i'm dizzy with thinking it over and over try and not think of it any more dear sir i said gently you are feverish and ill now i am going this afternoon with the friends to the city and i will put the police on the watch for the money we will get the number of the large bill if possible from the bank and I will have investigations made as to the passengers of Wednesday on the train with James. Have you said anything to him about your loss? I have not seen him since I made the discovery. You may tell him if you see him first, and do what you can, Richard, for I feel as weak as a child. End of chapter 4